Oh, friends, it is so good to gather with you today. Uh, if you don't know, today is my last Sunday here at Pine Lake Covenant Church, and I'm going to share more about that um, and God's calling on my life. But we have work to do, friends. We've got work to do today. Uh, we are in this series, The Power to Change, and it's been so beautiful as I've listened to the sermons. Pastor Becca pointed us to reconciliation, to God's redemption. We looked at what happens when the wheels fall off of the way we expected it to be or, or when we start to curve inward to ourselves. And last week, Pastor Mark talked about relationship being the vehicle towards restoration, reconciliation, these wonderful pieces of God's work. Um, as we tend to look at ourselves and kind of curve inward towards ourselves, God is the one, though, that can provide that power to change. He's the one that can shift us. But sometimes, friends, let's be honest. This is easier said than done, right? We can get so fixated on ourselves and bringing about our comfort And there's so many things in the world around us that we're going to live our best life now, right? Have you heard that? Or here's five steps to better living that you can implement today. Or there's life coaching now all around us. Let me help you be your best. Or there's journals that help us focus on today. A full focus planner. Come on, let's get it organized. These are good things. They are. But apart from God... Will they have any value? Do they help us change ourselves or help us change a broken and hurting world? Change is hard. Let's call that out. We talk about the power to change, but change is hard for yourself, for your family, for the sphere of influence that you have, for the world around you. It is hard. I went through a really deep season of change just over 10 years ago as I was preparing to come here, as I was considering what God had for me, um, right as I was discerning that call to Pine Lake Covenant. I was sensing this shift coming, but I didn't really know what it would look like. I know life had challenges and, and something needed to move, but I didn't quite understand. I had, I tried organizing my life, like cleaning out my daughter's closet. Like I tried organizing. Okay. That like piles of papers, piles. I had spent time in counseling, like getting some feedback and understanding. I analyzed my work life, my ministry calling, the work I felt God calling me to, and something just wasn't working. Like my ministry at the church I was at was hitting some challenges. My personal life was hitting some challenges. And I found myself doing the, well, God, if you would just move this, or God, if you would just rearrange that, Right? We laugh because we know, ooh, the first time you say that to God, right? He's going to rearrange it for you. But I recognize, okay, God, that's not where you want me. I got to the end of myself. Not necessarily a rock bottom, but, uh, Lord, I can't figure this out. Lord, I don't know what to do. Lord, move what you want to move. I remember even being at a stoplight and just physically holding out my hands. Lord, 
Here's my home. As a single mom, I had bought a brand new four-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bath home on this cute little lot that I had planted with flowers. And I said, Lord, here's my home. Lord, here's my ministry that I feel gifted and called in. But Lord, here it is. Lord, here's my family, my kids and the schools they're going to that I had worked so hard to keep them in and find specialists for them. Lord, here are my children. I even said, Lord, and they sat in my car. I said, Lord, here's my fun little car. My husband makes fun of me because it was a Pontiac, but it was a hardtop convertible, friends. Oh, man, you just push a button and the trunk lifts and the top slides in. It had heated seats. It was like my therapy. And I said, Lord, here's my fun little car. Lord, take what you want and rearrange what you want and move what you want. May I be about you. Only God knew how to shake things up, how to move things around. Quick bit of story there. I was supposed to rewrite my job description where I was at. I was looking at that on a Wednesday, and I had seen this job listing that somebody in our denomination had posted on a Wednesday. And I was like, ooh, that looks interesting. The very next day, that person who had posted it was holding a retreat for children's ministry leaders in our area that had been set up for two months. And I said, Steve, talk to me about this job. Here's my philosophy of ministry. Here's what I see God doing. Here's how I want to work with children and empower families. And by the end of the conversation, he said, I'm going to call that pastor. This is your job. This is your calling. God was in it every step of the way when I got to the end of myself. In a season of change or adversity or uncertainty, I wonder what your response is. Do you find yourself holding tighter to those things around you, to what you have, perhaps with your world getting smaller and smaller and smaller? Or do you look to the world around you to find guidance to find organization or a system to delete, to lead to some desired outcome? Or do you hold your very self before God, allowing him to take away and give and move, replace, restore? Do you allow God to move outside of yourself, outside of the center of your comfort zone, even to the margins a place where maybe you're unfamiliar and the current world doesn't understand. Well, friends, together I want to explore today what it looked like for a woman in the Bible who did this and ways that God showed up in power and how this story points us to Jesus. So we're going to look at the story of Ruth. So if you have your Bible with you or the Bible app, go ahead and open that up to Ruth chapter 1 as I read from verses 1 through 7. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of their two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. 
Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. And further down, picking up in verse 15, Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if death separates you and me. When Naomi realized Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Will you join me in prayer this morning? Father God, we come before you, perhaps in a a sense of our own comfort zone and recognizing our own ease, or perhaps the end of ourselves, not knowing what direction to go. But God, help us to hold out our hands. Help us to hold out our lives that you might rearrange, restore, renew. Show us a vision for what you have for us. Be with us in this day. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. When we read the book of Ruth on the surface, we see there was a famine. Naomi, with her husband and two sons, had moved somewhere else to find food. Makes sense, right? There was no food. They had to go. They went to Moab. They traveled. It took about a week to get there. In this new location, their sons found wives. Great. They're finding wives. And then the husband and the sons died. Not great. Okay, a couple notes on the culture of the day. A widow, a woman without a provider, was at the bottom of all societal, economical, all political structures. At the bottom. She had no one to provide for her, no one to advocate for her, protect her family lineage. And family line in this day is huge. You see that throughout all of the Old Testament. That is who they are and how they find their place and their being. But she was dependent on society at large. She had no one to provide for her. The family also had left Israel to go to Moab, east of the Dead Sea. And the sons found wives in Moab. Now, Moab was often in conflict with Israel. We read about this. We know that Israel was the promised land God had given to his people. Yet, Naomi and her family sought provision outside of God's blessing for them. Outside of God's promise for them. They looked to the world around them that might provide for their needs. It's said that in the ancient Near East, deity played the most important role in cause and effect. 
in our worldview, we would be inclined to identify our human or natural cause and effect and then mention that, of course, God was somehow involved in this, right? He was somehow behind it all. In the ancient Near East, however, it was the other way around. God was identified as the cause behind famine or war with natural or human causes given secondary notice, if mentioned at all. Okay, that's confusing, right? I kind of had to sit with that a little bit. Maybe a little bit confusing, but stick with me here for a moment because where was their focus? Where was Naomi and her family focusing? Were they looking to God first and then moving their lives in response to him? Or were they looking at the world around them and considering what might be best for them? Or were they focusing on their own needs and then somehow finding God in the middle of all of that? And then what does that mean for us? We read the the top level of Ruth. We see that there was a famine. We see that she was restored, yada, 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 right? We can just read through that. Then we look at the world around them in this context below the surface and think, oh, yeah, as a widow, that was challenging. As a famine, that was challenging. Life was hard. And then we can bring these two together in our own world today and discern what is God speaking to us? How is he pointing to Jesus in this? What does this mean for us? And I want to challenge us a bit today. Where do we find our focus? Where do we find ourselves? I've looked at three different perspectives, different areas where we might focus, and I want to explore those a little bit with us today. So let's take a look. The first focus, we can focus on myself. We can focus on ourselves. In verse 1, it said, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. There were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, we could look around quickly and say there was a famine. They needed food. Of course they had to move. They had no choice but to leave. They weren't staying in their comfort zone. Come on, they moved. But when I focus primarily on my need and my desire to stay in my comfort zone, might I be saying, God isn't enough. Or I don't trust God is going to meet my needs. So I need to take things into my own hands. I need to take my future and my life and my provision and I need to hold them tight and protect them. Maybe I need to take that job or sell this house with lots of equity or take a vacation to find some rest. But what protects me? Naomi and Elimelech did not trust the provision of God in the midst of a famine. And they believed they would find their filling in Moab. Outside of God's promise. Where are we finding our filling, friends? Where are we looking to God and his provision? We've talked about this self-help culture, this do-it-yourself mindset pervasive in our days. I can quickly go to Google the magical interwebs of the air and I can research anything and I can find five or ten steps to provide order and structure for my day. This January, my social media has just been filled with all kinds of planners like journaling and dot-to-dot planners. And there's so many options out there that help me chart my course for my best life now, right? 
I'm reforming my own habits and my structures around me, my attitudes to organize my life and days to make my home and sanctuary a place of ease. Ads surround us and condition us to fill our lives with comfort. You might say, but I've had hard things in my life. I've taken risks. But where was your focus? Here's another way to say it. I often take risks when determining what step to take. But I also, in those risks, say, how is this going to add to what I have or what I need? If I take a risk and take this other job, will I have more status, more money, more position that adds to my comfort? Will this add to an ease of my way of being in the world? As we question and determine our focus, do we ask ourselves how the major life decisions are made? How will this affect me? How will this provide for me and my family? Will this move, move us ahead in life? Will I have enough? Will I be enough? But what happens when we shift our focus from ourselves and our comfort to the needs of the world? Verse 4 tells us they lived in Moab for about 10 years, and then Elimelech died. Naomi's two sons married women from Moab, and at this point, the two sons had died. The three women were forced into a season of dependence. As we mentioned, a woman was at the bo- a widow was at the bottom of societal structures. She was outside of her comfort zone, but again, what was their focus? Look, said Naomi in verse 15, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if death separates you from me. When Naomi realized Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Where you go, I will go. This was a shift in Ruth's focus, not necessarily a a proclamation of faith at this time, but a recognition that she couldn't continue to do life on her own. She knew she couldn't stay where she was, but she didn't know what the future might hold. Rather than returning to her own family and her comfort, and she clung to Naomi, willing to see what life might be like. It's as if she was holding out her hands to God, for God to move and adjust and change and rearrange. There was a slight shift in her focus, no longer focused just on her own comfort as she moved outside of her comfort zone. This feels like a liminal space we've talked about before here in this church. The space we just don't know. This wasn't the plan for Ruth and Naomi. This wasn't the plan for the husbands and sons to all die. For all three of these women to become widows. This wasn't the plan, God. They had to find a new way of being in order to survive or even think about what it might mean to thrive. Sometimes hard seasons, unexpected events shake us up and shift our focus. A loss of a loved one, a diagnosis, a job change in this challenging space. Do we cling to our old ways of being? 
that no longer serve us? Or do we hold open our hands for God to move us? Do we look beyond our present circumstances and ask God what needs to be done? What needs to be done? Not just right here, but in your world, Lord. Where do you want me? Where do I put my focus when I don't know what to do? What do we do when God asks us to move outside of the walls of our comfort zone? Do we grasp tighter to the portion we have that we can control? Or do we hold our hands open? But if we shift our focus to God... As we read on in Ruth, we see that once back in Bethlehem, Ruth would go out and glean in the fields. She gathered a little here. She gathered a little there. Ruth and Naomi looked to God as their provider. They found that God provided enough each day. After leaving a homeland and not trusting God would be enough, through the loss of life and awakening in their lives, They looked to the world around them. And as they moved out of their comfort zone, they looked to God and found him more than enough to meet their everyday needs. Through this patient seeking of God and waiting on his provision, they found a radical shift in their focus and they received an amazing blessing. Because we see later in Ruth that Naomi sent Ruth to Boaz to see if he would be her guardian redeemer, her kinsman redeemer. In in this time of history, that meant somebody in, in the family line who would take them in, provide for them, care for them, restore them, even buying back the family land. Something of great importance. And as Ruth and Naomi recognized they couldn't stay where they were, But didn't know what life might look like. They came back to Bethlehem. And God provided and blessed. Because Boaz took Ruth as his wife. And together they had a child named Obed. And Obed had a child named Jesse. And Jesse had a child named David. Whom we know as King David. And from King David's line we know. King Jesus was born. God was at work in this story as they trusted him and put their focus on Jesus and his kingdom. God was at work in all of this. And what what blessing might come when we hold out our hands and look to Jesus as our provider, protector, redeemer. What might happen if we shift our focus from our comfort zone and begin to look at the needs of those around us and ultimately look to God as the one who provides. What if rather than staying in our comfort zone or shifting our focus when hardship and tragedy rock our world, what if instead we go to God first with open hands? What if we go to him first and say, move what you want, take what you want, restore, redeem what it is you want. Move me beyond my comfort zone and my comfortable ways of being. That my life might be a sign of the kingdom in breaking now. If we look to Jesus as our ultimate kinsman redeemer and open ourselves to the wonder and witness of him in this world, who do we need to care for to point them to Jesus? Who needs our open hands and open hearts? Who needs to know the loving kindness of Jesus that moves them 
into a deeper love of Jesus. Friends, as we explore these three areas of focus, I found some some implications of our focus, of where we place our focus. Because if I keep focusing on myself, what am I holding on to so tightly? Is it things around me or my ideas of how I think life should be? What it should look like at this age and stage of life? Am I living a life that reveals Jesus or am I living a life that says God isn't enough? Do I make my life, my work, my family, our vacations, our church attendance, our group's involvement, our tithing about what's easy and comfortable and manageable for us? Dare I say, are we making these things our modern-day idols? If we shift our focus, though, from our comfort and ourselves, and we focus on the world around us, if I recognize those idols and I shift my focus and I ask what needs to be done, Does that shift what my days look like? Do I begin to care more deeply about the things that matter to the heart of God? We see in the book of Ruth the need to care for the orphan and widow. And this is reiterated in the New Testament and called out in Acts in the early church as it was forming. But we also see Jesus continually moving to the margins. He went with love. He went outside of anyone's comfort zone. He cared for people with his loving kindness. He went to the lepers, the sick, the blind. He went to the paralyzed, the demon-possessed, the tax collectors who kept money for themselves. Who in the world today needs the love of Jesus? And as Ruth was allowed to gather grain, Israel's law mandated The people would leave pieces behind. The reapers in the field would drop provision so that people could gather through patient industry and therefore preserve their dignity that was sometimes forfeited by them by a generation entirely dependent on the generosity of others. In the mosaic of God's kingdom today, whose dignity needs to be restored Where are we called to work at restoring the image of God? And as we saw these widows being provided for and understand their lowly status in culture, modern day scholars say this. They say that these widowed women would equate to the homeless in our American society. Friends, are we moving out of our comfort zone to ask what needs to be done and how might Jesus be desiring to work through me, through us, to bring his love and hope and healing to a hurting world existing on the margins? And if we keep our focus on our comfort zone staying at the center, who speaks up for those on the margins? Who reaches towards the edge with the good news of Jesus Christ? And if God calls us there, will our lives look like our to-do list, our tasks, our organized orderly life? Or will we center our priorities and leave them aside then and move to the edges? If we show up there, will our lives unintentionally show that maybe we think God isn't enough? You might be saying, but Pastor Nancy, there's deeper problems in homelessness and drug addiction and mental health and those on the margins of society. This is costly. This is messy. I don't know enough 
I'm not seminary trained. I'm not the professional. Depends on what you're holding on to. Are you holding on to your comfort, your routines, your family, your home, your way of being in the world that provides ease? Or are you placing your heart and your hands open before Jesus, allowing him to show you how to simply show up in love? Do you allow him to rearrange and change your life and your priorities and your focus in the power of the Holy Spirit to not only change your life, but the world around you? Friends, this is the life I am prayerfully and intentionally stepping into and trying to live out. This is where the tears come. (laughs) I am trying so hard to keep my focus on Jesus. As I finish my time here at Pine Lake, leaving my role may seem crazy to some of you. And I step out not knowing the full picture, but I know the full measure of God's love. And I pray my life and my words might be shaped and molded and changed by the power of Christ. This practice of holding everything out in my hands has become a regular practice. Every year I ask God, is this where you still want me? Is this where you're still calling me? Am I still effective here in my ministry? What do you want to show me? What do you want to grow in me? And through that practice, he called me to seminary. He called me to ordination. He called me to care for and develop leaders around our country. He moves me to the margins to better understand loss of dignity and where love might be poured out. As I've done this, he continually points me and encourages me with the prayer for the Ephesians. And I want to read this for you now from Ephesians chapter 3, just verses 16 through 19. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of God's holy people to grasp how long and wide and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the full measure and fullness of God. Sometimes when we focus on that little that we have and we focus on that worry and worry that we won't have enough and hold tightly to our comfort zone. You might call this a scarcity mindset, but I believe when we keep our eyes on Jesus, we will know the full measure of his love. And we will know the full measure of his love and his kingdom has more than enough for everyone. More than enough. Friends, about four years ago, as I was entering into that practice of of holding out my hands, he brought a vision. He showed me that I was around sheep, and there was this really thick veil in front of me, this mist that I didn't understand. And through prayer and spiritual direction, I was trying to lead in, like, what is that? What's on the other side? And he very very clearly said, that is not for you now. Sit with my sheep. Care for my people. That is as we was as we were going into COVID through a pastoral transition. God said, be here 
with my sheep. And about a year and a half ago, I realized through prayer I was in that veil. I don't know when I had started. I think I had been there for a while. I was going through all kinds of health challenges. I had long COVID where I literally had brain fog. I literally was in the mist. I struggled to function. We were trying to finish the lower level remodel. We were going through so many transitions trying to come back out of COVID. And then in the past six months, Jesus has shown me I'm on the other side of that veil. And the sheep weren't there. The sheep weren't there. But my focus is on Jesus. My focus is on Jesus. And he's calling me out of the comfort of these walls. Calling me out of the comfort of my office, of a paycheck, of friends that I love dearly, of ministry that I love. He's calling me to continue to walk alongside leaders in the Pacific Northwest Conference where I have space to develop leaders and in our denomination where I serve with our children and family ministry team. And he's calling me to press into writing, to encourage and equip and maybe even pursue those who don't yet know Jesus, those who live on the margins. And to share the love of Jesus with those who feel unseen, unknown. I'm living in this space of of knowing I can't go back. I can't go back to the way it was. And I don't know perfectly what the future may hold, but I keep my eyes on Jesus. And I have a trust and a faith that God is more than enough. Friends, this isn't an ending. It's ascending. As Christians, as Christ followers, our call, your call, is to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and care for his body. Care for the people here. Pour into them. Step into leadership. Step into places of service. Care for those on the margin. Friends, we can't go back to the way it was, and we don't know perfectly what the future will hold, but we keep our eyes on Christ. We move out of our comfort zone, and we look around, and we say, what needs to be done? We keep our eyes on him. He is our firm foundation, and he will not let us down. Will you join me in prayer? Father God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you is all I can say. Thank you for the opportunity to know you and grow in you, to be stretched and changed and challenged, to be moved out of comfort zone, to seek you. Thank you for the relationships and the time we've invested together. Lord, I pray that you continue to show us the full measure of your love, that we would not operate from a place of scarcity, of trying to hold so tightly onto what we believe we know about our day-to-day functioning, but God, we would hold it out before you, allowing you to move and change and rearrange. Lord, you are good. Help us keep our eyes on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.